Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, it's nice to be back home. Just before I get into my message, I just want to pause a warm greetings from United Church in Windsor, where we visited last week. They have a small congregation there, but they keep together and, and always welcome any one of us. They were so happy just to see us there. And two weeks ago, we were blessed to be in Ottawa with the people there. So it was so nice to see them, especially after the feast. It was, you know, and especially our young people. They just brought so much excitement into the congregation. So it was just a beautiful, nice weekend, just right before the holiday. So as we go through the message today, Please open your Bible to Matthew 28. That's exactly the same words what Daniel actually read for us as an opening scripture here. Matthew 28, 23, Matthew 23, look at verse 8 one more time. Verse 8. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Just stop for a second here. What I want to do now, for just for a few minutes, look at the scriptures one more time, just by yourself. Think about it. And if you take notes, write in your notes, what do they mean? How you understand them when you read scriptures like that? How you, how you would interpret these scriptures in your, in your life, in your daily life? You're also welcome to, if you have a partner beside, just exchange comments and ideas between each other. I'll just give you a few more minutes, and we'll talk about it during our sermon discussions a little bit later. What is Christ trying to tell us here? Just a few little three verses here that we just read. I know we'd like to have an open forum here, but we'll do it a little bit later. What does it mean? What do you think? Are we supposed to take these words in a literal sense, exactly word for word? What does it say here? If not, then if there is any non-literal meaning into these words, what's right and what's wrong? In our daily life, is it wrong to call somebody, let's say, you go to a doctor, Usually how you refer to these people, you call them doctor this and doctor that. If you go to the court, how would you refer to a judge? You call him, hey, brother, let's say George. I would say, hey, mister, whatever. Usually you will refer to a judge in a court, your honor, right? If you go to school, when 
university or college level, how you refer to a teacher? You say, hey, mister, or you just say, hey, you know, hey, Jen. You refer usually to people, professor. Is it wrong at church to say, pastor, teacher? Is it wrong to say to somebody, hey, father? Is it wrong to call your dad? Father, as Christ said so right here, there's a few verses that we just read it. Let's, for example, just look at it, at this term, father. Let's see if it's biblical to call somebody or not to call somebody. Let's see what the Bible says. Let's go to Second Kings for a moment here. Second Kings chapter 2. And look at verse 11. Just breaking into the context, but just look at Second Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Then it happened, as they continue on and talk, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Verse 12. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. One prophet refers to the other prophet and calls him my father. That the actually prophet Elijah here disobey the Christ commandment when Christ says do not call anyone father. Let's go to Second Kings chapter six. So here we have a, a king. 6, look at Second Kings chapter 6 and look at verse 21. Second, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 21. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? The king looked at Elisha and said, My father, is he breaking a commandment, calling a prophet? My father. And as you know, we can go through many examples in the Old Testament. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, which calls our fathers. Is it biblical? Let's go to the New Testament. Let's check about teachers. John chapter 3. Gospel of John. Chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3, and look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Nicodemus, in this case, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? So Christ called Nicodemus teacher. Is Christ breaking his own commandment? Trying to call somebody a teacher. 
Let's go to Romans chapter 4. Just look at the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 4. And look at verse 1. How Paul is addressing his. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. What then shall we say that? Abraham, and he's called what? Our father has found according to the flesh. Again, Abraham, our father. Let's keep going. First Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers, is relating to the history here and saying about all the fathers in Israel here, all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Just go to chapter 4, the same, the same uh, letter, letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4. And this is very interesting here. Chapter 4, and look at verse 14. 14 through 17. It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus... I have begotten you through the gospel. You see it? You get it? Paul is saying, I am your spiritual father. Is Paul breaking the Christ commandment that we just read in Matthew chapter 23? Look at verse 17 here. 16. Therefore, I I, I urge, urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in Lord, will remind you of my ways in Christ. Son in Christ. Basically, I am your father, Timothy, in Christ. See where we're going with it? Was Paul contradicting here Jesus Christ's teaching? Let's go to the book of Ephesians. A strict commandment. How our church till these days is organized. Ephesians chapter 4. And one more time. It's a well-known scripture. We all know it. Ephesians chapter 4. And look at verse 11. And 12. Verse 11. And he himself, Jesus Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Just go to Ephesians chapter 1. Look here at the beginning of this letter. Ephesians chapter 1. And look at verse 1. Paul himself writes here, Paul, an apostle. Give himself a title. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And as you follow his letter, in 13 times in the New Testament, he said, I am apostle. 
I am apostles. I am apostle. Is he breaking God's commandments? Writing and doing all these things. Now, some people will come and say, Jen, why do you have to use all the titles, you know, in your church? Is it wrong to call Brother Murray, Pastor Murray? Are we elevating him? And kind of downgrading the other people in the congregation because we call one somebody pastor, elevating him, and the other we are not. Just think for a, just think for a second. What is his function in the church? He's a shepherd. When you put a shepherd and sheep together, are they equal? How many came from the farm? You put shepherd, you put sheep. Are they on the same level? What's, what is the role? What is the function of the pastor to do what? To lead the sheep. To find the pasture. To give them drink. And to move on and protect them. Sheep do not lead the shepherd. Shepherd lead the sheep. Right? No matter how we look at it. That's the way how it is in the Bible. From the beginning to the end. Now, why do we have all these titles, even in the church? Look at the secular world. Imagine any army on this planet, if they do not have a chain of command, how successful that army would be? Can they win any battle without the chain of communication and order going from the top to the bottom? They all serve the same purpose. They're all called to do the same job. They have different functions. It's got to be a general, going to be a captain, it's going to be a private, it's going to be a lieutenant along the way. Can't avoid it. Think about it, country like Canada. Can we say we're all equal? We will never, ever accept any government above us. Imagine a life in country like that. What would we accomplish collectively as a one nation? Nothing. We'll be totally disorganized and ineffective. We'll probably, in a short period of time, we'll just stop exist as a nation among all these among all these countries here in this world. So, even town like Burlington, the same thing. Imagine a town to function without the chain of command going down from top to the bottom. Why do we have all these titles? Why do we have all these change of commands? Just for simple, simple reason. Communication and order. Communication and order. In a city, in an army, in a town. Communication and order in the church. Just look here, for example, if, that's in the, you know, if this is a foreign concept in the New Testament. Look at Titus chapter, look at Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, and look at verse 5. Look, Paul is writing to Titus, he says, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and have an election in every city as I command you. That's what he's saying here? So you can have a democratic election here, right? That's what he's saying here? He says, no. He says, I want you to appoint elders, elders, 
in every city as I command you. For what reason? To keep an order in the church. First Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. And we know how problematic the church in Corinth was. Why? Lack of leadership. Look at here the last verse of chapter 14, verse 40. Paul is just simply summarizing it. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's why you need appointment in the church, from elders all the way down. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 11. Just break into the context here again, verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Same thing. Appointed to be a teacher, to be an apostle to the Gentile. For what reason? To bring an order in God's churches as he was raising up. So, is it wrong to use the titles in the church? Is it biblical? Absolutely, it is biblical. You know what Jesus Christ is trying to tell us? That, you know, all this change in the commands, it's not just to find out how important we are. If that's the only reason, you know, because, you know, I'm a deacon because I'm so important, then, you know, I missed the point and we all missed the point. Basically, titles, what they redefine our responsibility to God. Pastor Moore has got totally different responsibility in front of God that I, that I have and that you have. Simple reasons. Not just because he's elevated. No, he's got totally different responsibility according to his gifts. So is it, is it wrong to call him pastor? Is it wrong to call him teacher in a church? Absolutely not. Let's move on here. Talking about responsibility. Just go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Speaking about gifts and responsibilities. Why is so important? James chapter 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to riddle the whole body. Just think how important it is, how responsible it is. Not everybody can be a teacher, and not everybody can handle such a responsibility, and especially later on when you're going to face God himself or Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 23. The same scripture, Matthew chapter 23. As you read this chapter, it's not a nice chapter. The way how Jesus Christ refers to the religious authority, to the 
religious establishment to the Pharisees and all the leaders of Israel at that time. But let's start from verse Matthew chapter 23. Let's start from the beginning here. Verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, speaking to everybody, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They have great beginning. They have the law of Moses. That's a great beginning. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say, they do not do. For they bind heavily burdened, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulder, but they themselves will not move them with one of all their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen, to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feast, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by, by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. You see the context now, you know. And to better understand what Jesus Christ is saying here, you know, we have to go back to history. We have to go back to, you know, historical aspect there. You know, and I know that not many people like history. But, you know, in some cases to understand some biblical text, we need to understand the relationship. What was happening in the first century? What was the relation between the teacher and the students, right, between the rabbis and their, you know, followers? You know, many people think that, you know, this concept of New Testament discipleship just came, you know, from Jesus Christ when he raised his 12 disciples. But this is actually not true. It started a long time ago in the culture of Israel, a long time before Christ. So, you know, I will read you here some historical context. And, you know, in some cases it might be a little bit boring, but, you know, it makes so much sense when you understand a little bit history behind it to understand what was going on here. What is Christ actually trying to tell us in this few verses that we just read? So here, for example, in uh, Mishnah, you know, Jewish sources here, not biblical sources, in Avot chapter 1 and verse 1 it says, Moses received the Torah from Sinai, and he transmitted it to Joshua. And Joshua transmitted it to the elders. We're talking about the oral Torah, right? The elders to the prophets, the prophets to the men of great assembly, and the men of the great assembly said three things. And these three things are, be delivered in judgment, that's number one, point two, rise up many disciples, that's concept number two, and the third one, make fence for the Torah. And most Jews, till till this day, they try to live by these three points, right? In Ezra generation, and it's, you know, that's according to to the tradition. In Ezra generations, the men of the great assembly, you know, issued these three charges and, you know, on a very specific point, how to accomplish them. For example, be deliberate in judgment. This is what the source says. The men of the great assembly warned the disciples to be careful when judging. They warned them to wait all the evidence. When asked a question regarding scripture, when making a legal ruling, when hearing court cases as elders or as the judges sitting on a court of law, or even when simply making a small decision on a point of law, be careful and be deliberate. Disciples are not to take scriptures seriously and study them diligently. So it's very important. 
Point two, this is raise up many disciples. The men of the great assembly told the disciples to raise up many students. Disciples are to pass the teaching on to the next generation of students. If we do not, if we do not, there will be no continuity, continuity of the faith. If disciples do not raise disciples, who in turn become teacher, rising up disciples, the teaching is lost along the way. And the last point, when they talk about defense for the Torah, this is how they specify. The men of, men of the great assembly told the disciples to protect the law. They were to protect the commandments by teaching their disciples to avoid even seemingly behavior that might lead to sin. For example, the commandment not to look at women lustfully is is offense protecting the commandment not to commit adultery. If one does not look with lust, one will never, one will never come near committing adultery. So they try to put a sense, you know, put a fence around the commandments and build the other laws and other commandments, you know, that, you know, now we know we need love at them, how they define, you know, Sabbaths and the work on the Sabbath we should do and what we shouldn't do and all this little nonsense along the way that came. So, now, what was the relationship back then, you know, between the teacher and a disciple? How did they look at it? How did they view it? So, basically, the teacher-disciple relationship was a very powerful bond. Disciples regarded their teachers higher than their own fathers, higher than their own family. It was a relationship over and above that, you know, anything we can imagine today between the teacher and, the, and, and between the teacher and the students. And in many times, the, the rabbi or the teacher was kind of like, you know, with the students, was like a master to a servant relationship. They just look at him like a master, like a big man from, from heaven. And, and also the disciples in the first centuries, they look at Jesus Christ at the beginning in the same way. You know, if you, you can go and look at it, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, you can write it, I don't have to go there. But it's just to basically one just sample there. How they refer to how they refer to the, our, the disciples, how they refer to Jesus Christ, and also the relationship was expressed as a father to their children. And in, in the rabbinic literature, the Torah sage is the father, and his disciple are called his family. So, hence terms like you know, Bad Hillel or the House of Hillel and the House of this Rabbi and the House of that Rabbi. And all the writings that were preserved over the centuries and they compile into one or few writings that, you know, now it's going to take months, months. If you want to study all the sources, it's going to take months just to read through it. Now, all of these things, they, they, they try to come to agreement. What are the four basic, you know, uh, function of a disciple, right? So it's very... Please pay attention to it. I know it's a little bit boring when you read the history, but it's very important, right? They said, if you are a disciples back then, it's very important, number one, to memorize their teacher's word. Back then, it was nothing like having notes and writing something, open the scroll, open the book. Everything was the teaching. It was orally done. So, you know, the disciples had to do anything trying to remember as much as they could about the teaching from their from the rabbi, from their teacher. So it was the job of the disciple to memorize his teacher's words. The oral transition process was the only matter practiced among the sages. The great rabbis and Torah scholars did not write scrolls or compose books for the students to read and study. Instead, they taught orally 
and the, their disciples study by memorizing their words. Through constant repetition, disciples memorized their teacher words and were able to repeat them to subsequent generations. One teacher influencing a bunch of students. They memorized their words. Second, most important job of a student was to learn their teacher's tradition and interpretation. The teacher's tradition and interpretation. It was like a disciple's job to learn the tradition of how his teacher kept the commandments of God, interpret the scripture, every detail about the teacher was important to the disciple. The disciple needed to learn how the teacher washed his hands, how he kept the Sabbath, how he fasted, how he prayed, how he gave to charity, how he said the blessings over the food, the way how the teacher interpreted the scripture or the passage of the scripture, the meaning he drew out, the parables, the stories he used to tell his students, the way he explained a verse or understood a concept. Each of these was utmost important to the disciples. Details of this kind of were not just a trivia. It was very important. The discipleship, these were like a gems and pearls meant to be gathered and treasured. That's how important it was. Just for a second, just, you know, go to Matthew chapter 15 here for a moment. One of confrontation when Pharisees come with Jesus Christ here. Just to better understand what I just read it to you. How the new disciples, went, you know, how the disciples, Jesus Christ, the sample, would understand such a concept. In Matthew chapter 15, and look at verse 1. And the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, and you see, here it comes, all the traditions that they agreed to do it. He says, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So all these people are very well trained. Everything that I just mentioned here. Just observing everything what these men, what these people were doing. They were studying more the other sources, external sources, than the Torah itself over the time. Now, point, the third point, it was to imitate the teacher's action. It was the job of a disciple to be like his teacher. A disciple's highest calling was to be a reflection of his teacher. That was the goal of every student. They just wanted to become like their master, like the teacher, like the rabbi. So the goal was just to be one day like you know, their master. Disciples studied to learn to act and to speak and to respond the same way his master would act and speak and respond. A disciple studied to do the things his master did. And you know, also in the gospel. You know, let's actually go there. Luke chapter 6. and Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and look at verse 40. You will see how it reflects this concept. Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. Just look at it here. 
That's Jesus Christ's word, he says. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly, perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And the last point, and this is critical, to raise up disciples. It was the job of a disciple when finally trained to rise up his own, his own underline, his own disciple. So he was to create a new generation of students and to transmit to them the memorized words of his master the traditions, the interpretation of his master, the actions and behavior of his master. The goal was to pass the teaching and the torch of discipleship from generation to generation. So each disciple became the teacher, the rabbi, the master, the father to a new generation of disciples. So we can see where I tried to go with all of this. So all the great rabbis and the teachers of the Torah had disciples. Their students, the best students, eventually become teachers, had their own disciples. And there, another level of disciples just came up. So you can only imagine here, you know, along the way, through this process of transmitting the tradition, right, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And along the way, with the passing from the Torah teaching to the one commentary of one verse, then another disciple took this commentary and add something else and transmit to the next generations and another did the same thing add a little, a little bit another explanation to the same passage and pass on to the other generation and you know what we, what, we do, what we have in the end when you will look at the Jewish sources you have all different schools all, all different rabbis all compiled in one single book but you know when you read some of their judgment or teachings one on one side will contradict the other on the other side. And that's what happened through all the centuries. As they were trying, one raising disciples to another, and then another trying to raise disciples and pastor traditions, and another tried to do all this thing. So, that's how the word of God become eventually corrupted. Now, Jesus, there is a little bit difference there, and you want to go there. See, Jesus spent like three years teaching, you know, his disciples, and he was training them. And, you know, at, at the end of his earthly work, let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 19. The Great Commission here. Jesus says here, go, therefore, and make disciples. Now we know and have a better understanding what it means to be a disciple. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. And, you know, for a moment, you will think that, you know, he's actually saying exactly the same thing with the Jewish culture, with the Jewish tradition was trying to teach them. But there is a huge difference. You know, there is a huge 
difference. Go back to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. The Israel as a nation had a wonderful start. At a great start, they received the Torah from God himself through Moses that's why in verse 1 it says in verse 2 the scribes and the Pharisee sit in Moses seat therefore whatever you have that comes from the Torah Jesus Christ says I want you to observe I want you to do that but he says do not do not but do not do according to their works for they say a lot of things they have a lot of teachings but it says they don't do any of it. They just become a hypocrite. And that's what the chapter 23 all about. That's what actually it's saying here. You know, as I just mentioned here, the danger, if we put aside the word of God and we stop teaching and preaching from the word of God, and let's say we start using the other sources, like, you know, we let's say using our booklets, which is nothing wrong in itself. But if the booklets don't agree with the word of God, we have a problem. Today to become a rabbi, today if you want still to want become a Jewish rabbi, you will have to spend time, countless hours studying the Talmud. Master the Talmud. Well, all this great teacher had to say, what all the great teachers interpret the scriptures. But you don't have to study the Torah by itself. Some greatest name today, if you go and look at their biography, something like that, you will see how they mastered the Talmud. Not single one of them, how they mastered the Torah. They mastered the Talmud. And as I mentioned, if now, during all these generations, when they claim that, you know, they have the oral Torah passed to them from generation to generation to generation, now we can see how diverse we can be going from one way of interpreting the scripture, going all the way to interpreting the scripture. And they all say that they're right along the centuries. They all say, hey, I have the right interpretation of it. See, but Jesus says here, he says, you do not be called rabbi. He says, for one is your father, for one is your Rabbi, for one is your teacher, he says, the Christ. And you are all brethren. I don't want you to follow the same mistake what they did. Don't go this way. I am your teacher. I am your teacher. When you raise disciples for me, I don't want you to have a school, you know, like, hey, this is a church of, of John, and this is his teaching. There is a church of Daniel, and this is his teaching. There is a church of Murray. And this is his school of thought of interpreting the scripture. What, what Christ is saying here. No. I am the teacher. This is the word of God. And I hold the final authority what the scripture means. You don't go to any man. Not to go to anybody. To listen to what your father had to say. So as you can see how corrupt. Easily, how easy can be corrupt something like you know. Passing you know traditions from one generation to the other. If I say something to Daniel that is not biblical. And then Daniel. You know, my tradition, I'll pass on traditions to my kids. 
Eventually, they'll put the traditions to their own kids, and along the way, they'll add something else to it, and they'll have their kids, and they'll, they'll pass some, you know, the traditions and add something else to it. At the end of four or five generations, they would not even recognize what, you know, I was, what I was trying to teach them. So that's what happened. That's what happened, the corruption. That's what happened, the mistakes. What happened along the way with the, with the Jewish tradition of, of making a discipleship is totally contrary to what Jesus Christ was, was actually telling them here. So now, like if you, now if you go, we have a better understanding. If you, if you go to Mark 7, just go for a moment here to Mark 7 and see how Jesus rebuked them. Mark chapter 7. And look at verse 6. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of the hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 8, For lying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. But they were saying, oh, wait a minute. That's the tradition that we just received for our, from all our you know, forefathers to all these you know, generations. What are you talking about, Jesus, here? And just keep to verse 13 here. It says, in verse 13, as the end result of all this tradition there was, there was added to all these generations, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down, and many such things you do. Many such things you do. So let's this verse, you know, in a proper context again. Go to Matthew chapter 23. All this background story, all this information that we just know, that we just learned. And just read it one more time and see if it's going to make to us a little bit more sense when you're going to tackle scriptures like that. Matthew chapter 23. And let's do it from verse 8. But you see, he's saying to his disciples, but you do not be called rabbi. Is it literally wrong to call somebody's rabbis? We have people or teacher. We have people who dedicated their lives to study the word of God for many years. Is it wrong to call somebody teacher? Absolutely not. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. exalted. But woe to you, verse 13, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself, nor do you allow this who are, and not you allow those who are entering to go in. That's what makes the difference at the end of the time. You know, yes, titles can lead to pride. If you give wrong people the wrong functions in the church, it can destroy the individual, it can destroy the church itself, and the group. If wrong people have the wrong function, if wrong people have the wrong titles. You see, here, 
what the mistake that the Jews were making, the Israelites was making, you know, like even the disciples, Jesus Christ is telling, telling them here, you know, Andrew, I don't want you to go and start in your own school and just said, call it a, you know, seminary of, of, you know, let's say Peter seminary, you know, of whatever, Peter theology. And, you know, James starting his own academy and says, you know, academy of James, you know, according to James and all the disciples. No, Jesus, what Jesus wanted to say final here, he said, I want you to raise disciple for myself, not for you. I want you to raise disciples for my sake. And this is a huge difference. In their own tradition, they're raising disciples for their own. And they were very prideful about it. I have 50 disciples. And they're all called by my name. They all come from my school of thought. Look how great I am. Look at my uniform that I'm wearing. I am Jan the Great, the greatest rabbi. But Jesus says, no, I don't want you to operate the same way. I want you to raise disciples, not for Peter, not for James, not for Andrew. I want you to raise disciples for me. Because I am your rabbi, I am your teacher, and I am your father. Now, I'll just stop right now for a second here. Think about it. This concept, not to call people, not to bring titles in the church, it's not something that happened just, you know, last week, two weeks ago. You know, it happened often. I was challenged it by, you know, few congregations. And, you know, people with the same concept, he said, you know, like, you know, Jan, please don't call me this and this and that. And the reason why, he said, people say, bring it up, he says, because it's not biblical. And the reason why it's not biblical, because it says here in Matthew chapter 23. You see, if people taking, for example, if people look at this and say, if I come to you and say, please, don't call me deacon. Because personally, I don't feel comfortable with that. Just call me Brother Jan. It's a totally different story. But if I say to you, please, don't call me deacon. Because this is not biblical. It's got another problem here. Right? So hopefully, I was able to bring you some lights. You can go and study the scriptures again by yourself. If ever somebody comes to you and say, Oh, we're not supposed to call anybody. Pastor or shepherd or elder. Or you name it. Because it's not biblical. You will have the answer. May God bless you, brethren. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.